It is good to be with you. Feels strange to me to have been gone quite a bit lately. First, I went on an amazing pilgrimage to the Holy Lands, and then I returned, and I had a case of COVID, so I missed another Sunday, and then I went to Texas for a graduation, so I feel like I've been a bit of a flake. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Texas. I was in Texas. It's always a place in my heart. Much of our family, my grandsons live there. But I know it's been all on all of our hearts this week as we mourn with the community there. So we've been in this series in the book of Acts. Well, I guess it's not a series. It started last week exploring what it means to be resurrection people, following Jesus through joyful times and hard times like these. So after his resurrection, Jesus lived among his followers for 40 days, teaching them about the kingdom of God. Then Jesus ascended to heaven with a promise that there would be power from on high. They just had to wait. And after Jesus left, the believers are left waiting together, looking at each other, trying to figure out what is next. So before we read this passage this morning, let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds to receive your holy word this morning here in your beloved community. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, enliven this message so that we might hear your good guidance for our lives together. We pray all this in the name of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So please listen to our lesson about how Jesus' followers waited together after Jesus ascended to heaven from the books, book of Acts Chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, and verses 21 through 26. Listen. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All of these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the son of Jesus, as well as his brothers. In those days, Peter stood among the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 persons and said, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and allotted his share in the ministry. So one of the men who have accompanied us all during this time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness for us to his resurrection. So they proposed to Joseph called Bar-Sabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you've chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord. The gathered believers, they didn't know how long they would be waiting. 
We know in hindsight with a little math and, and figuring out that it was one week until the Jewish festival springtime of Pentecost, which is when the Holy Spirit arrives, but they don't know that yet. And I try to imagine how Jesus' followers felt after the horror of the crucifixion, the surprise of the resurrection, and then this joyful 40 days with Jesus. And then he's gone, ascended into heaven. I've got to believe that they were emotionally spent. So what are they to do as they wait on God? What do they do that week? They gather together, they stay together, and this community, this beloved community is marked by three things. They pray together in unity. They seek oneness through prayer. They practice radical inclusion, and they prepare for their calling. They pray devotedly. They seek to focus and align their hearts. So much has happened, some of it traumatic and some of it joyful. And now they're really contending with another loss. Jesus has gone, and I can't believe that they really could imagine what would be next. We read that they pray together, but it's described as something more profound than just being in that same room praying. They seek loving unity and oneness and connection in their prayer. The word translated as together in this passage that we read it's a compound word, homothea madon. It literally means one mind. So they pray with one mind. It's a word that we find throughout the book of Acts. My Greek dictionary says this word describes the inner unity of a group engaged in a similar action. It reminds me of Jesus in the Gospel of John. He prays for his disciples, and then he says, I ask not only on behalf of these, my disciples here, but also on behalf of those who will believe in, my, in me through my word, that they will all be one. As you, Father, are in me, he prayed, and as I am in you, may they also be in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. So Jesus intends them to be as one. Oneness in Christ expands beyond that upper room of prayer, through to our time. And it's that oneness that I think we've experienced this week as we've mourned with our nation and the world those 21 people killed in Yule Valley, Texas. As we heard their stories and as we mourned with them, many of us found oneness in Christ drawing close to them in prayer, even as we can't fully fathom their experience. We can't fully fathom the horror and the shock as a young person in their community betrays them with shocking violence, Judas-like violence. What we find in our own time as the beloved community is that oneness in prayer isn't seeking conformity, and it isn't exclusive, but it's inviting, it's expansive as a community comes together to pray together. And we see this starting out with these believers gathered in that community. They're inclusive. It isn't just the insiders, a holy huddle of the 11 remaining disciples. The believers are gathered in a large room, which includes the women. The women are there. And the prayers seem to include some of the other 120 people who have gathered and shared this journey, this post-resurrection journey with Jesus. 
This is radical. This was not the usual practice in this culture. Remember, the temple has separate places for women and men to pray, and a designation as to who can lead prayers. Because this, friends, is the beginning, because the beloved community centering on Jesus always moves to inclusivity. The beloved community always moves to inclusivity. And I was thinking about this passage last week, because I knew I was going to be preaching on it, when I experienced a very loving, inclusive experience in church, in church in Texas. My youngest child, Wren, just graduated from Trinity University in San Antonio, Texas. I think we've got a picture. There we are. This picture of our family includes our oldest, my stepdaughter, Melissa, mother to my grandsons, and my stepson, Eric. Dave and I are in there, but my son, Jeremy, was home with finals. My son-in-law is home with the grandbabies. My husband is a Texan. You don't hear it so much in his voice, but look at his feet any Sunday. He's wearing his Sunday go-to-church cowboy boots. <laughs> Seriously. So my heart is in Texas. My beloved stepchildren live in Texas, and my grandsons. Did I mention my grandsons? They live in Texas. <laughs> so we all know a bit about Texas. It's an oversized state, kind of like ours, right? Everyone has an opinion and knows things. It's a state that skews more conservative in California in a number of ways, and this impacts the rights of their residents. It's, it's like any place, right? For those who follow these sorts of things, you might know that there have been a number of legal developments that are threatening to transgender people. My Wren, whose birth name is Karen, is identified as a transgender person, non-binary gendered person, if you've met them, you might know this. And I want to tell you about this story of inclusion that blessed me last Sunday. Because on the edge of this campus, literally 500 yards away from Wren's dorm, is a lovely and warm community, University Presbyterian Church. There are things that reminded Wren of PCLG, and I saw them too. They have a warm, personable pastor, like Pastor Dave, who notices new people. He's kind of like Pastor Dave, but with a cool South African accent. And the church has a lot of really fun and welcoming people. There is a fun and loving head usher that Wren affectionately calls their Peggy Heath. This church noticed and welcomed Wren, saw Wren's transition, and made them feel loved and welcome. And this, I think, is really fun. Wren went on a retreat with young adults. That was a great thing. But the place where Wren found belonging and a home was the Knitting Prayer Shawl group, a group of older women who showed love and attention to Wren. Wren's an artist of many mediums, painting and knitting, all sorts of things. The DNA of this church was acceptance and welcome and inclusion in a multi-generational way. Are you aware of the risk of trauma, depression, for transgender youth. So I am really grateful for this church's loving presence in Wren's college life. So on this Sunday after graduation, Wren and I attended church. In the service, the pastor highlighted Wren's brave journey of self-discovery and expression. He blessed Wren and prayed a commissioning prayer for the journey ahead. Now, Pastor Dave and Steve 
Fainer and our youth group have all been supportive of Wren too. But the real journey occurred when Wren went off to college, so this church in Texas was really important. Now I think that we are a lot like that church, a church of inclusion and love, but it was very helpful for me to see it as an outsider. So church, I want to invite us, let's always be a beloved community that witnesses to the gospel in inclusive ways, that shows Christ's love to anyone who comes in our doors. Do I have an amen? amen. So we gather in prayer, we seek oneness, we seek to be inclusive, right? But then what is next? Do we stay in this like little huddle place? What's next for those disciples? for those followers of Jesus, and what's next for us? So in our passage this morning, all the believers are praying and waiting, and I think they're primed for action, because to pray rightly is to be ready for action. To pray rightly is to be ready for action. That is why that idea of thoughts and prayers can sound a little false, because it's thoughts and prayers, and how are you calling me to action, God? So in our passage, we too see two who are stepping forward humbly. Matthias and Justice are suggested as possible replacements for Judas. You remember the one who betrayed Jesus. The believers determine they need 12 disciples. Why 12? Well, 12 is what Jesus originally taught. 12 is representative of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, I've thought, it's kind of a bummer to be Justice, right? the one not chosen, and we know exactly who you are because we've given all three of your names. But here's the thing. It wasn't an election. It was a recognition that there were at least two guys that were trusted and able to witness to the whole story of Jesus' ministry. Remember, this is a dangerous and risky role to step up and be known as the leader of this group of Jesus' followers. It is dangerous. It is not like being an elder or deacon here. It is a dangerous thing, but both are willing to serve, and Matthias is chosen by casting lots, a bit like dice. Now think about this. Jesus was around for 40 days. He could have said, hey, this guy's number 12. Let's move on. Except that the church needs to figure this out. Jesus will be ascended to heaven. His earthly ministry transitions to his followers. We've got to figure out how to discern our calling in our own community. Because Jesus is not sending us emails telling us who to elect as elders and deacons. And spoiler alert for next week, it'll be easier once we have the Holy Spirit. We won't have to cast dice. We won't have to draw lots. So how does God call people? How does God call us? God calls people who are invested in the beloved community, who are devoted to prayer as a first step. Because to pray rightly is to be available for action. We're all called to action in different ways. We're all created with different gifts. Back to Texas. How do we respond yet again to another school shooting, another tragedy? Well, there was one way. Wren's Knitting Prayer Shawl Group in San Antonio brought 50 prayer shawls to Uvalde Presbyterian Church for their prayer vigil just an hour's drive away. In fact, I think I see one of Wren's shawls there. That's the pile that they brought to the prayer vigil. I can imagine our own Susie Hansen doing this with our prayer shawls, can't you? But not all of us can knit. 
We all have different callings and passions and gifts. I've heard from some of you this week, you're tired of gun violence and you're feeling called to more strongly advocate for gun control laws. Some of you have shared articles with me and you believe that political power and idolatry around the Second Amendment, that that's a threat. Is this a political issue? Can it be an issue that you're called to engage in something like this as a follower of Jesus? For some of us, yes, it is. In the same way that some of you are particularly called to advocate to dismantle racism or advocate for immigration reform or voting rights or resources for homeless neighbors, God works on all of our hearts, calls us all uniquely. Because here's the thing, the gospel touches every aspect of life. Sometimes it's political. Remember, Jesus died a political prisoner. Jesus sacrificed his life to absorb all brokenness of all forms, all human depravity, distortions of power, wherever it is found and whatever form it takes. You know, Pastor Dave often reminds us we're not a church that defines and focuses our membership on advocating for particular causes. We're a church that focuses on Jesus. But focusing on Jesus doesn't mean we don't care or embrace politics or advocate for ways that we are called. It means that Jesus calls us each in unique ways because to pray rightly to Jesus is to be available for action. Focusing on Jesus is the first step of discipleship. The next step is getting called into something in the kingdom of God, just like these early believers. And it can be hard. It can break our hearts. Remember what Pastor Dave often says, we want to make it easy to be a member of our church because being a disciple is hard. This week was hard. Was this week hard? I'd like to share a prayer with you from Kate Bowler, a theologian and writer who wrote a prayer for this hard week, a prayer for collective grief when thoughts and prayers are not enough. This world, impossible, unthinkable, we are brought to our knees. God, today there is no true north, and when I last checked, the sun did not rise at all. Today, the innocent still suffer, teachers still risk their lives, families still grieve, and a world has ended without any reasonable fanfare. And we are sold the fantasy that nothing can be done. Help us to know what to feel, rage, grief, sorrow, and what to do, advocate, protest, lament. Blessed are we who let reality in Though our bodies shudder. Blessed are we who ask and wait and ask again for the courage to change our culture whose laws and complicity subsidize death. God, give us hope that seems hard to find. Amen. So friends, as we carry both heaviness and hope into this next week, let's remain centered on the oneness of Christ, the oneness of Jesus. Let's remember that to pray rightly is to be ready for action. Let's each listen to where God has called us to go. May it be so for all of us, beloved community. Amen.